Welcome to episode 35 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. But before we get into this week's episode, let's have a listen to a short message from our sponsors. Hello, Pinocchio. You're my favorite little boy. But you know you must never tell any lies. What are you doing, Pinocchio? I'm building a website. Oh, Pinocchio, that's very clever. What's it called? I'm not telling. It's my secret project, and I'll be releasing it in two weeks. <laughs> oh, very good, Pinocchio. How much work have you done on your secret project? I've been working on it every day for the last seven months with my special friend, Gion. <laughs> I'll be releasing it in two months. <laughs> oh, Pinocchio, look at your nose. So I take it Pinocchio is me. <laughs> well, c- could be. <laughs> Great. Uh, so, uh, well, before we get into uh status of my secret oh, project. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not getting out of it that easy. <laughs> <laughs> I say we move on. No. <laughs> Tell us, when's it going to be released? I don't know. I, you know, making, I'm, you know, been working hard on it. Uh, you know, I haven't been able to spend as much weekend time on it lately. I've just had so much, um, uh, you know, client work that I've been having to do. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's like you really have to get those like five or six hour sessions in. Like it really helps to work on it every day. But for me, I feel like I need to also get in like this, you know, a couple of long sessions on the weekend to really push through stuff. And I haven't had that in the last couple of weeks because I've had um, so much client work and family stuff going on. So it's, I don't know. I think you need me to hold you accountable to it because, look, we, we had a discussion about this in December, okay? Mm-hmm. And you were going to release this in January, the, the, the beginning of the new year. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're now at March. And, you know, someone's got to bust your ass about this. <laughs> okay. I mean, it's like it's, I can't release it if it doesn't work. You know, I, <laughs> I don't oh man, do. I bet you, I just bet. I mean, look, just tell me the truth. Are you being a perfectionist about this? No, no, I'm not. I'm not trying to be, I'm not even being a perfectionist at this point. I'm just trying to get, uh, the UI working and, uh, just get the basic stuff working. I mean, some of the basic stuff just doesn't work yet. You know, I spent so much time on the engine and then just now it's just trying to get a UI around it that allows you to, um, do stuff. So, um, how yeah. many months? How many months down the road are we now? So I, I'm just gonna. <laughs> I I know that I'm I know that I'm embarrassing you, but look, just just let's I'm just. Not, let's no, I'm, not, I'm not embarrassed. I mean, it's just uh, it's the reality of it. So I started I started working on it pretty seriously again in like say October because September up through August and September and a lot of most of the summer was where I was really working on local bacon, trying to get that ready for the TechCrunch 50 show which was right. in the middle of september and it wasn't really and then there then it was like the following couple of weeks i had to do some more stuff on local bacon and then it was moving into october where i felt like i could start spending some more time on it so you know october november december january i'm gonna give you nine months and then i'm I'm literally gonna stop talking to you if it's not released okay <laughs> so because central central desktop the the great guys that we had on last week and that were that really was a fantastic show really i really enjoyed that show well, um they they worked on theirs all night and day for nine months to release it. So I'm going to give you nine months, right? So let's see how many hours. How many hours was that for? Uh, nine nine months. 
times. Oh, uh, you're not going to stretch that out into the hours. So 280. So let's say let's 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 do it conservatively. So let's say 200. Let's say he did seven. We'll even say he did 60 hours a week. Right. Right. Let's let's just say 60 hours a week. So it'd be 240 hours a month times nine. He said nine months. Yeah. About you know going on you know 2100 2200 hours. Okay, now you're going to like uh, prorate that into your time scale, right? Let's just see here. I, so I spend <laughs> probably an average of, I don't know, let's say eight hours a week. Right. Eight to ten. We'll even, we'll even be generous. It will give me ten, even though that's probably too much. Okay. So 40 hours times uh, a month times, what have I done? Four and a half, let's say five months. So 200 hours. All right. About a ten percent of what it took to do there, so you know, come on, okay, a little slack. <laughs> okay, so by I suppose by their time, you're going to be releasing in. Hang on, let me just work this out. July twelfth, two thousand and thirteen. That's probably about the same time <laughs> you have enough uh, people signed up for your Mash API web conference. Yeah, we've got um, the the Mash API web conference. So um, for anyone who's who's new. Um, I have a, a secret project, a secret startup that I've been working on for, I guess, a year, year and a half. And um, I really want to do the investor pitch to a bunch of TechZing listeners. Uh, so far, there's 13 people signed up. And what, what we're going to do is we're going to have a live, a live webinar and I'm going to pitch. But I want to pitch to 50 TechZing listeners. So far, I've got 13. So please do sign up for that. Send an email to te- um, podcast at techzinglive.com. That's podcast at techzinglive.com to sign up to be on the panel to review the investor pitch that I give about that. Right. Yeah. You know, one thing just to finish up on the, on, on the secret project or my secret project yeah. topic is this, is that I think one of the lessons that, that for people to learn from what I'm doing is like, okay, so there's two things. One is if you're going to do a side project, then you probably want to really make it a smaller project, right? I went after, I'm going after something that's big, which yeah. incurs more risk. We, because yeah. there's always a risk that I can't get it done. You know, if you can get something out there in three months, so it's, it's almost like that sort of that three month rule, which is get into bait in three months. If you can't get it in the three months, then it's probably too big. And three months being, either it's full time or part time, whatever you have, it's not the total number of hours. It's probably the sort of a calendar time because the world does change in six months, a year. And that's time. like a tweet minor size project. That's right. You, 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 I mean, you went after something, you said, okay, I have X number of hours that I can allocate over the next whatever, whatever how many time I guess it was really like the first six weeks you really pushed on it didn't you a month or six weeks uh, yeah and it was something that you said okay doing some simple version of this as you can get out so that's probably something people can learn from this is that okay Jason went after something really big and he's sort of caught in this forever you know not releasing Limbo whereas Justin cranked something out in a couple months because he went after something that was relatively small now then the flip side the only other the, the sort of counter argument to that, which I don't think is an argument for success, having a successful product, but it's just sort of what happened is I went after something that I really want to spend the, you know, a lot of time working on that I could see myself working on for five years. And I got bored shitless with uh, Tweet Miner in no time like, yeah, and wanted you know, to move on well, to something my, different. <laughs> yeah, so there's a thing. I mean, it's like I, I, I thought I, when, I, when I thought of the project, I was less about thinking, okay, this has to be out in a couple months. Although I had that in, the, in my mind that I wanted this to be something I could get out without too much time for sure. But I was thinking, what is something that I think will have a lot of intrinsic value to a lot of people that the people will be willing to pay for? Right. And it's for businesses more than it is for individuals. And businesses will pay, whereas individuals tend not to want to pay. Yeah. And what's something that I just think is fundamentally cool that you know 
I can look somebody and they ask me what I'm working on. I'm like, I'm working on this. And they go, oh, that's really cool. Then I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. As opposed to like, uh, I don't know, I really want to talk about it. So I guess, I, I guess for after this, just to close this conversation down, mm-hmm. I guess that we shouldn't really expect a date for, for, the, for your secret project to be released. Because you don't have, a, you've got so much on your plate. You don't have, you're only putting in like 10 hours a week to it max. So it's going to be, it's just going to be released when it's going to be released. And that's all there is to it. So we sort of need yeah, to take it off the table. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, you know, because it just gets boring to probably talk about. But here's, right. I mean, like I said, you know, we've talked about, I have like three, four client projects, yeah. right? I still have to support Prezo. We do the podcast at least once, sometimes twice a week. I have three kids. I coach my, I coach my kids' soccer and basketball teams. You know, so <laughs> I it's, run a soccer team. Yeah, you've got a lot. I got a lot going yeah. on. Yeah. So it's hard for me. I mean, I can't manufacture hours. There's only so many hours in a day that I'm productive where I start to, you know, yeah, I can, you know, whereas I have to get enough sleep. So, okay. I don't know. But oh, here's a, um, to switch topic, here's a little segue for you talking about sleep. Right. It said, um, you know, admit, there's a, t- a title, uh, the title of the article was a midday, midday nap markedly boosts the brain's learning capacity. Huh. And essentially what they, the research uh, was, uh, had, had, said was that or the way they the, the researchers sort of phrased it was that your the things that you learn during the day the facts sort of get stored in your hippocampus right. and it's not till you sleep that it's uh sent to the i think it's called the brain's prefrontal cortex hmm. um and as they said it, the way you think about it is, is think about your hippocampus as being like a your your email inbox and after you go after you get so many emails, you just it just bounces the rest of the emails until you go to sleep and get enough sleep and and allow your brain to move it to a more appropriate long term storage. Right. So to put it in terms that uh, you know us tech people understand, that's it. You so you have this sort of you know buffer, and the buffer's got to be uh, you know flushed at some point. And so you know you you get this sort of. Um, mythical uh you know developer where it's like oh you know i work for 24 hours straight or you know how am i sleeping i'm writing code around the clock or whatever it is but you're probably what you end up doing is is you're burning a lot of hours and you think you're getting a lot done but you're probably not as effective because your brain just doesn't work very well you don't learn or remember the things that you were you know trying to figure out and you know whatever it was you were trying to learn to solve the problem new api calls new you know whatever yeah you got to get your sleep and um I think that's something that has to be reiterated because I think it's just sort of built in in our culture, which is just, you know, you don't complain, you just work your ass off, you know, you sleep, you sacrifice sleep if you have to. Well, you know, that may not work in a lot. Over, over a period of more than a few days, it starts to be, do more harm than good. So something else, Jason, you sound great this week. Uh, last yeah. week, the sound quality was pants, but you sound great this week. Why? Well, yeah, well, because you, you were, you know, really were laying into me about switching from DSL to cable. And um, I had always had DSL because I thought I needed a static IP. Um, you know, because I told you, Guyon and I work by sort of, I share my desktop. Right. Guyon, who I work with, who's a friend of mine I'm working with on the... Uh, Guyon. Guyon <laughs> is in, um, he's in Norway. Right. And we share my desktop. We talk over Google Talk or Skype or whatever. And... I thought I needed a static IP, otherwise it'd be kind of a pain for him to connect in. Obviously, that was a, a stupid technical misunderstanding on my part, which I never thought much about. I'm thinking about like five years ago, and I haven't thought about it since. 
Because as soon as you start saying it, everybody's like, dude, are you an idiot? <laughs> so like the IP changes every five minutes. Yeah, exactly. But at the time, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, new static IP. Um, so you're, you're on a new um, cable connection, and it sounds fantastic. Does it? Yeah, it's great. So it's my, I, I, I was running the speed test a number of times in my DSL, and I, had, um, and I had like a $40 a month DSL. It wasn't like bottom of the line. And uh, it was uh, three, like 378 up, you know, 1.5 or something down or two down. Right. And that's, and that's basically what I was getting. I was getting about like 300K up and about two down. Yeah. Now with cable, I've been testing, you know, a number of times throughout the day, and I'm averaging about 2.1 up huh. and about 2.1 uh, megabits versus K. Right. So about seven times as fast up and about, two, oh, I think it was like eight and a half uh, down. And what's the cost? So about six to seven. Same as like 40, 50 bucks a month. Unbelievable. So that's, seven that's just fast. amazing. So you, you just need to hunt around for value. It's like where I was living before, I was paying the exact same rent that I, you know, I've just moved. I'm paying the exact same rent, but now instead of being a one bedroom place, this is like a three bedroom place. It's just, you know, you can find these deals. Life, you can, you can hack life. Yeah, the world is not a, a it's not like the, it's not like the stock price where it's supposed to be perfectly efficient, yeah. which is not even true anyway, even in the markets. But you think, oh, well, you know, everything's efficiently priced. It's not efficiently priced at all. And it's like if you're an idiot, you know, you pay for the same price for a crappy DSL. I mean, well, yeah. It's like how how do they even get away with it? Like, well, I guess it's just not a big deal in the press. No one mentions it. No one really cares. They don't notice. Well, think about me, right? Okay, I, it's not that I don't know the difference between DSL and cable. And it's not that I don't care. It's just that, I, you know, you just get sort of used to it and you just like ah, i don't you know unless it becomes too much pain you're just not gonna switch yeah it's like it's just more thing i gotta deal with it's okay so we gotta go you know talk to charter cable instead of appointment you know what are we gonna do and and i don't want to am i am i gonna lose connectivity for a day or two is that gonna happen i mean you yeah. just start and, and but you what happens is you don't even spend that much time really going into thinking about it you just you think about it for about four seconds and you're like ah screw it i'm not gonna do it <laughs> yeah you know and you just get stuck and and that's the same reason that People say, well, they don't switch email accounts, email providers, <clears throat> and they don't switch different types of service providers because even though it's easy to switch, you just kind of get used to it. And you just, unless it's painful enough, you're just not going to do it. So I guess we should talk about it. It's time to talk about it. The tweet miner fiasco. <laughs> <laughs> so I've had, I've had a pretty interesting week. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, okay. So it, it started off. Um, Actually, in an, in an even more interesting way, which is like around about Tuesday, a tweet miner completely went down and just went completely dead. And uh, essentially, rack, it was Rackspace was the issue. So I, I've, I've had tweet miner go down three times this week. So the first time was Rackspace. The second time was because I was suspended by Twitter. And the third time was Rackspace. So let me just firstly talk about the first time tweet miner went down with Rackspace. I got onto support with them and, and communicated with them for, I was talking to them all day long. And ultimately, for let's say 90% of that time, they were just telling me it was it was nothing to do with them. Uh, it was just because, you know, TweetMiner was trying to connect to the Twitter API and the Twitter API was refusing connections. So that's what they spent 90% of the day telling me until finally I got them to start looking in at their own systems. And ultimately, the actual cause of the problem was that was that a client on the same cluster as me, one of one of their other web clients, had um, essentially Apache sessions, but they weren't closing the sessions. So they had 250,000 open sessions. And so wow. therefore, the, the disk seek time, because I was using the same shared um, 
NTFS, right? The disk seat time was affecting everyone else on the server, you know? Wow. And they just, they, they wouldn't even look. It was so difficult to get them to, to kind of look past what they, what they thought. You know, it's kind of like the when they say that when like one of the guys, the captain, I mean, the captain or one of the guys who built the Titanic, they said that nothing could ever sink the Titanic. Yeah, yeah. Right, there's some famous quote about that, and I, I can't remember if it was the it was the the guy who designed it or the or the captain or whatever. And of course, you know, we know what happened. It's like when you have this sort of hubris or this this incredible amount of confidence in something that you've built. Uh, it, it, it's almost like you turn off a part of your brain that you're unwilling to to examine it in any level and uh, ask the tough questions. It's, Which yeah. is like what we do as software developers. We have to force ourselves, even if we are confident in something, to examine what might be potential weak points. We're like, oh, this this stuff's rock solid. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. So I thought I thought it was interesting because I'm on cloud sites. I'm not on cloud servers. And the promise that they give you with cloud sites is that they will scale your site out for you, right? They'll do the scaling. And what's interesting is, is that during the discussion with the tech guys, they were basically saying, well, look, with a site like yours that's connecting to external sites, you shouldn't be running on cloud sites. You should be running on cloud servers because essentially what they said was, you know, you should never, you should never run really critical businesses on a shared system. Right. Which is weird because, you know, the, the, the main tagline is, is that you can run a critical business on their system. Yeah, well, you know, remember how we had um, uh, what was the guy's name we had on who did he was the Cassand- he, about the Cassandra database who worked at Rackspace? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, what was his name? Do you remember? Um, thinking on not it. off the top of my head. Sorry. Well, he, um, you know, we were talking about you know the scalability of it, and he kind of was like, "Well, I was kind of hedged." He's like, "Well, I think it's really scalable for things like WordPress." <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what he's saying. So he's saying like, it's it's scalable for apps that they know about that they've already kind of pre-built into it, and I think. That does make sense. I mean, it would it would be kind of asking too much for them to scale for every custom app. But anyway, so that was that was that issue, right? And I, I don't uh, listen. I'm I'm just going to stay on Rackspace. I'm going to stay exactly where I am because the more that I know, the better. You know, the better that it is about. The this. better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Exactly, because next time when I see this this problem, which I have been seeing for the last you know four months, every now and again this happens. They must have it's it's just related to this NTFS bug. So now I know what to say to them when I call up. Look, this is the NTFS issue. Please can you make right. sure that everyone that you know that there's no one with a whole bunch of sessions open. So anyway. Yeah, I mean Rackspace is generally I mean they have they seem like they have compared to most providers, they're comparable in terms of their pricing and their yeah. their customer support and stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean you could run into the same problems anywhere. So Anyway, so then on Thursday at four o'clock, uh, Twitter basically suspended TweetMiner, and um, that was a that was a different scenario altogether. And I felt just really bad. I just because at this stage I've got you know ninety four, well not actually now ninety five paying customers who basically pay me for this service, and and Twitter have just suspended it, right? right. So the reason why they suspended it was because. Some guy posted a blog about uh, scheduled messages being the new auto DM and basically was saying that scheduled messages were spam, scheduled, me- scheduled messages were crap. They posted it on Posturus. How do you say it? Posturus. Posturus, right? And then Post- that got high up in the various different interwebs. And obviously someone at Twitter read that and thought instantly, ah, oh, tweet miner. Right, I'm suspending them. <laughs> right. So, so TweetMiner got suspended. In the meantime, that's a completely st- stupid argument because 
like scheduling messages. I mean, you can schedule really good content just as much as you can schedule bad content. That's right. So it's, you can do it manually, or you can do it uh, autom- yeah. and automate it. So let's so, so let me. Yeah, you ask me the uh, ask me the questions. Go on. Okay, so that happened, and then you because we you and I were communicating a little bit via email, and we talked on the phone. Well, I, I basically called you up, and I was like panicked and stressed and really upset. Yeah, she, yeah, you were pretty uh, pretty stressed, and you were on the verge of writing an open letter to Twitter, mm. saying how unfair it was that they didn't even send you an like an email like a 24 email say you know you're in violation of some uh some term of service uh you have 24 hours to cease and desist otherwise we're going to shut you down they just shut you down right, right. You, were, you thought that was really unfair or really angry about it and, and you were saying well this this is exactly the reason you don't want to play in someone else's sandbox because you're you're, you're sort of at their um mercy and uh you know and you're almost like ready to write this sort of scathing open letter and my reaction was like, whoa, whoa, whoa cowboy. <laughs> listen, As listen. usual, you being the voice of reason. <laughs> like, well, you know, it's just that obviously I wasn't emotional about it. You were. When you get emotional about it, you tend, sometimes you don't tend to make the best decisions. And, and I said, you know, you writing an open letter to Twitter is like CCing, is like being in a corporate environment and CCing uh, an email where you're attacking somebody and you CC the whole company. And the only re- the result of that is, is whoever you're seeing gets really pissed off. I mean, you start a war. Yeah. And and I was like, that's usually the absolutely wrong way to resolve a situation. Usually, what you do is you want to send a private email, or better yet, go and talk to them personally and say, hey, let's let's talk about this and try and you know figure something out because things just get escalate and get worse. And, you know, Twitter at the end of the day, they don't need Tweetminer. They don't need you. If you piss them off, or you do something that they say this guy's a jerk. Whoever is in charge of that is it just. You know, just one person gets irritated and, yeah, this guy's a jerk and whatever, and shut you down, and it's done. It's over. Yeah. Not going to solve the problem. If, you're, if your goal is, is to just write a, uh, a, a letter, start a war, and uh, have TweetMiner shut down, then by all means, do it. But if your goal is, say, to get, back, get your service back online, get access, open back up to TweetMiner, and save your company, then, you, then the best thing to do is, you know, like I said, just, just get on the developer forum Write some being very polite and very persistent. And it I was guess- really, really good advice. So I found I found a way of uh, contacting them via basically they they have a method for you to um, uh, appeal suspended applications, and it goes through their Zendesk system. And I basically submitted submitted the request and you know your your advice and your advice was just really really good. And that, right. that's goes. That's part of the reason why it's good to have a partner, you know, to just brainstorm things like that, especially at moments of crisis. And if you don't have a partner, at least you have some friends who, yeah. uh, you know, who understand your business and who can give you a, you know, a, a, just a, just a, hey, a sort of fail-safe check. Like, whoa, don't push that button. <laughs> don't so, push that launch button yet, you know? Um, exactly. And so you didn't. And, and you know, go on. Well, what, what I was going to say is, okay, so I sent the guy... So, so I sent this request via the API, via their Zendesk thing. And then the first mm-hmm. thing I did was I just wrote a blog uh, and I directed everyone from TweetMiner. When they logged in, it took them to this blog posting, which said that TweetMiner has been suspended. And then I said what I'd sent to Twitter and I was basi- I just basically, in this blog post, updated all of the backwards and forwards between me and Twitter. And what was amazing to me was that people started commenting. The first, The very first comment that came onto the blog was <laughs> was basically look <laughs> you owe me a refund because this wasn't my idea to introduce this new this new custom signature functionality right and i was like 
oh shit, maybe this was a really bad idea to to like publicly post this on the blog. But then from that point forward, I think that 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 first post almost like made everyone go, yeah, no, hold on a second, give the you know give this guy a chance. <laughs> so basically, the rest of the comments and there's like fifty comments are basically saying, look, don't worry about refunds, just get it sorted. It's great to see that you're you know keeping us updated about what's happening with the business. Because I was basically doing an update every couple of hours saying, look, this is what's happened. I haven't heard back from Twitter or I have heard back from Twitter. And um, I guess in in a sense, it's actually built a stronger community within the TweetMiner customers, which is kind yeah, of interesting. Yeah, that was actually, we had a conversation about this on Thursday afternoon. I remember I was, I had taken my son to basketball practice and I was sort of standing outside the gym and I wanted to give you a call because you had sent me an email and I hadn't had a chance to respond to it. And we had this conversation, and I and why 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 one reaction? Because at that point you're really stressed. You're like, I'm going to lose my business. And I was like, Well, listen, you just email all your email everyone. At least your paying customer. You said, Okay, I'll email my paying customers. I'll 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 post up regular blog post. Uh, you know, keeping everybody appraised of the situation. And I was like, If you do that, and you show everyone that you're doing everything you can to make this thing happen. And most likely it will come back online. People, you will build trust and loyalty from your customers that they're willing to, to do what it takes, keep them informed and do the right thing. Because as you know, things always happen to services. Things happen. And the question is when they happen, what, what do, do the uh, companies, what do the service providers do to solve the problem? And it sounds like that's what happened, right? I mean, you got that. You you said there was some tag that some people started on uh, hashtag on Twitter, like save the <laughs> oh yeah because free I, the tweet minor three thousand or something. Free the tweet minor three thousand, yeah. <laughs> that's great. I mean, see, you know, you get. I mean, people appreciate it when you work hard to solve problems. That you're not just sort of sitting there going, "Well, I don't know." Twitter turned me down. I you know shut us down. I don't really know what to do. <laughs> you know, or just didn't say anything, and like a day goes by, and everybody's kind of like, "What the hell am I going to do now?" So then we moved into the, this back and forth between me and me and the API policy team at Twitter. Mm-hmm. And they told me what TweetMiner was doing that was breaking the rules. So there was a couple of things. One of them is that I have this friend finder feature where you type in keywords and it will make friend suggestions to you. And you, right. you manually select whether you're going to be their friend or not, right. um, whether you're going to follow them or not. But I had, to save time, a, li- a little link in there called follow all. So basically you could follow 50 people in one go. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was that link that was against their terms of service, right? So it it wasn't even the the custom signature stuff. Although they did they did say that that was against, you know, they don't mention it in their terms of service, but they said they don't want that. Right? So I created this custom signature thing, which was kind of a clever little hack on my part where someone someone can go into their Twitter account and they can basically say that they're an application developer and they register an application with Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then it gives them their um, authentication credentials and they plug that into TweetMiner. And then when they post from TweetMiner, it basically says whatever name they've put for their application. So instead of, uh, instead of, instead of posted via Posteris tweet, or TweetMiner, it would say posted versus via, you know, whatever. Their, their brand, John's, right? John's app. Yeah. So okay. now you, you had said, well, that's a bad idea anyway, because that's giving away your TweetMiner branding. Yeah. Well, you know, because you figure who are the people who would be potential TweetMiner users? People on Twitter. And if they keep, the more often they see posted via TweetMiner, the more your branding recognition is going to improve. So you see things like Posteris or Hootsuite. Well, you know, I mean, even if Twitter did allow that, I wouldn't give that away unless people, unless that was more of your higher end pricing scheme. Yeah, I think, I mean, on, on reflection, because what I did was I gave it away for free, right? Yeah, so obviously there was a, there was, <laughs> 
<laughs> there was like a landslide <laughs> of people who basically set that up very quickly, uh, you know, and started posting from their own uh, app, in quotes. Yeah. Well, I could see why you'd want to do it. I mean, it's like a lot of, um, you know, free free versions of some apps. It's like it, you have to deal with advertising or you can't take away the branding. But if you pay enough, you, you don't have marketing, you don't have any advertising on your site or, or whatever. But the other thing is that you can sort of brand it to your own company name or whatever and that's usually something that's more of a premium price because if you're not going to pay for it at least you help us out by by building the brand recognition so twitter got uh, when twitter got back to me they told me that my app was breaking some of their terms of service and what i did was i got back to them and i fixed i fixed everything but one of the issues was the the rss scheduling and they told me that that was against the terms of services so right. the, the main thing about that is is that without that tweet is nothing i mean that essentially is Tweetminer, it's it allows you to plug in RSS feeds and it allows you to schedule the stories with the click of a button. So, right. I mean, you have you do a lot else, but a lot a lot of other things. But that's the core. That's of where the that's the where core. it came from, right? right. And and what during our, our correspondence, the impression that I got was that they'd kind of turn a blind eye and they'd let me do that. But from my perspective, as someone who's going to build a business and you know basically say, right, I'm I'm playing in your sandbox. I'm going to build a business and really place my future in you know in in the twitter platform but for them to just kind of turn a blind eye to what i'm doing i don't think that's acceptable so i essentially sent them back an, an email which said um you know everything i've done for, for tweet miner has like i haven't built tweet miner from the point of view of being a spammer you know uh i mean tweet miner came from from our show um in fact our our episode number one the very first thing that we talked about was twitter yeah Remember right. that? Mm-hmm. Yep. And yep. Um, as the show went on, we kind of talked about using Twitter to market the show. And then that was when I started posting high quality tech links to my followers. And, uh, you know, I always made sure they're good quality. And um, then then my followers started complaining and saying, look, you're posting too many links all in one go. So then I thought, oh, maybe maybe I could come up with a software solution for this to spread them out during the day. So I did right. that. So just just did that to make the followers happy. And then... I thought, oh, well, wouldn't it be good if it could kind of plug into an RSS so that I could like do the two things in the one go? So essentially, following all of the, the you know, the hacker news kind of advice of scratching your own itch, and and then we decided one day, uh, I think on the podcast, we said, well, you know, maybe other people want this. This could be a good business. So right. uh, you know, and on the show as we've as we built Tweetminer, we went through all of the principles, and we we, you know, do you remember release early and charge off and all that kind of stuff. Right, and, and radical transparency. Radical transparency. I used ag- agile methodologies to build it up. Wireframed it with Balsamic mockups. Got the customers involved. And basically, every step of the way, I was a hacker news goody two shoes. Right, and right. then this <laughs> Twitter right. just, without warning, just shut it off. So I said, "Look," I basically said in my email, "Look, you you need to tell me that I can actually build a business and that it's okay for me to do the RS. I need to see it in writing, not just." kind of that you're going to turn a blind eye. So they basically just sent back an email and said, okay, you know, we appreciate your willingness to cooperate with us. Um, so we, we can allow you to have the schedule RSS feature under the condition that you make sure that your users don't spam Twitter. And right. <clears throat> personally, I thought that was very interesting because you don't see that. That's not a corporate line to to acknowledge the gray areas. You know, corporate, com- corporate entities temp- tend to think of things in black and white. And... Um, in this scenario, they they kind of acknowledged the gray area. They acknowledged that I needed to be treated differently. 
And I just thought that was really, right. really impressive for a company as large as Twitter to do. And I think that it's interesting because it kind of shows that they do believe in the Twitter ecosystem and they do kind of, well, certainly with their, my experience with them, you know, that, that they've been essentially quite magnanimous in this, in this regard. Well, you know, I guess Twitter, even though it's a large company relative to startups, I mean, it's still 140 people. So they probably have the people who work there probably have a certain amount of autonomy and are able to make decisions as opposed to having layers and layers and layers of management and red tape and all kind of corporate policies. So that probably worked to your benefit that in the end of the day, you were dealing with the real person who was making decisions. And the fact that you didn't take a, a really aggressive confrontational tone with this whole thing that you said okay i'm going to try and be polite and persistent and really try and solve the problem and try and work with them i mean it, it paid off right well the, the the other thing is this this kind of brought a bit of a revelation to me which is that i i now kind of believe in tweet miner more than i did before because the essentially the customers kind of rallied behind me you know and they set up the free the tweet miner 3000 hashtag and right. just all the great comments that they right. wrote so I don't know. The whole thing was an interesting experience. Well, that was really interesting. So when we when we initially we had a conversation about this, I, I when I when I called you that uh, Thursday, I yeah. guess, and we we talked. And I tried to give you a little bit of pep talk because you I were was really, stressed out. Yeah, well, you were really stressed and you're really depressed. And you were kind of in despair, and you were almost to the point like you were like, "It's over. My business is dead." <laughs> And I could tell you were on the verge of probably making a mistake because you were you were in that kind of state of mind. You weren't going to make you weren't going to do things calmly and rationally. You were going to react kind of emotionally. And so, one of the things I, I suggested was obviously, which you know we talked about, which was just communicate with your users. Don't get aggressive with Twitter. Just try and work with them, you know, on their mobile form. But the other thing was this: is that this was going to be a moment that was going to allow you to prove yourself to your users, yeah. right? And a lot of times when you have challenges like this in life, when they're challenges and you rise to meet them and you deal with them the right way, it, you really improve yourself and it, it becomes an opportunity. The challenges in life are opportunities. And the, this was a challenge to you and your business and, in the, and it was in the eyes of your users. And you were able to show them that you were going to do the right thing and that you were going to do everything you could to solve the problem for them. And they, yeah, people rally around that, you know? It was an opportunity. I mean, it's almost turned into a, a kind of, I guess, like a P, there's like a PR um, long tail for it, you know, because it's yeah. it's on the it's on the blog and all of the comments from the people are on the blog, and I guess it's yeah, it's worked out. It it definitely worked out, and it's a great feeling to to sort of feel. I, I guess I feel a lot safer now. Now that Twitter have given that response, I feel a lot safer, and I'm kind of interested in going to this um, this meetup. That, they, that they're having of app developers next month. Yeah. Oh, really? Where? Um, I think it's going to be in San Francisco. Oh, so you're going to fly up there? And that, that'll yeah, be kind of I'm fun gonna drive, I think I might drive up there, yeah. There's, there's like I'll a 500 buck cover fee, but... Um, th- oh, really? Well, you know what? I mean, that's probably something that's, that's a, a, a good, ex- you know, a worthwhile expense. I think so, yeah. Yeah, I would think that's probably not a bad thing to do. Probably fun to meet some other developers that are working in this space. Meet some of the people at Twitter. Yeah, that sounds cool. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, I, I'm, I'm I'm really I'm really happy that things worked out. I'm really happy that you were able to um, sort of uh, take 
move the whole thing in a positive direction and resolve it in the right way because it's uh, I would it would been it would have been real disappointing to see Tweetminer go down like that. <laughs> well, it, what's really funny is that it just seems amazing that even in the show like i'd wanted to just give the whole thing up and basically you and the listeners have talked me around into turning it into you know to to really <laughs> focus on it and as soon as i like literally that week you know like that monday i said right this is it i'm really gonna focus on it i'm really gonna build a business here and like literally that was when it crashed on right. on rack space so then i had to spend an right. entire day like making it work with rack space and then, like two days later, it goes down with. Uh, I mean, it's just like God. That's sod's law, isn't it? <laughs> well, you know what? It's like it's like the. Um, but the fact that that you, the fact that these challenges were were sort of laid out, that you hit these sort of rough spots, and then you work through it, it makes you even more committed to it, right? Because like, all right, now I put all this extra work into it. I'm not going to give I up guess. now, right? I mean, <laughs> I don't know, but you know, I mean, the fact is, I mean, Tweetminer makes money for yeah. you. I mean, you make real revenue every month. It's not like you're just giving up the potential to make revenue. It's not like, oh, I wrote some code and I want to keep working on it. It's like, no, you make, what is it, $1,000 a month now it's, or something? It's going down, you know? but yeah, 1000 in theory. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's real money. I mean, that's like, you know, uh, car payment plus health insurance every month or something, you know? I mean, that's real. I mean, that's the kind of thing that if it went away, I'm sure uh, Georgie would uh, want to have a serious talk with you about that well (laughs) something that um may may interest some of the some of the folks listening um because we've had some discussions about pr and i know in the last show um set the central desktop show one of the things that was really interesting was that that those guys started using a pr person and that has definitely kind of inspired me so i've i've gone out and found um actually two pr people who i'm going to be starting to work with tomorrow so great really i'm it'll be great to kind of report back about how that process works and how, you know, how that, uh, expense translates into hopefully new eyeballs. Now, did you, where'd you find these PR people? Um, well, basically through, um, you know, different like Odesk and Indeed Lance kind of thing. Okay. Cause I, I was, I was wondering if you had contacted Isaac and I don't know if I asked who they use. No, I have, I, I hadn't. No. Okay. Well that might, if, if um if these PR people are, don't work out, then that might be something to look into because yep. uh, apparently they did a good job for yeah clearly for yeah they did they did so um oh. a lot of um, people a lot of people said that they would really like a show with like a tech PR person to kind of hear about some of the strategies yeah yeah because a lot of it's kind of interesting I mean. You know, there's a lot of talk on the startup world, tech startup world, about scaling your website and, you know, all the tech side. But there's this whole black box of marketing and getting traction and PR stuff that just seems like, well, you know, you just kind of go out there and shake the trees and it sort of happens. It's like, you know, there's no detail about it. It's very very unspecific. It's like, you know, if someone said, well, how do you scale your your website? Well, you know, you just write some code, you know, you just work on it. Like, well, what the hell does that (laughs) This isn't telling me anything, right? And so, I, you know, even though I imagine that a lot of tech people who are tech founders, probably a lot of our listeners, aren't that interested in PR for its own sake, but they, but they understand in the marketing and all that, they understand that for business to work, they're going to have to get that done somehow. Yeah. And so I think... F- if we can figure out and come up with talk to some people who really know how to do it and get some better understanding of it. Yeah. I, think I mean, of course PR is just one aspect of the whole sales and marketing equation. Like, sure. so 
right. you've got to you've got to think about all the different channels to bring eyeballs and prospective customers to your application or to your product. So I suppose we we, right. we should probably right. even talk to maybe a more marketing related person, someone who has a, like a, a broader overview as well, maybe some stage. Yeah, you know, in fact, I um. There's an interesting article I read this week called "Shipping Saved My Life" um, by Amy yeah, Hoy. Yeah. You know, I did. I, I, I glanced. I didn't fully digest. Well, it's really interesting, and I read a couple more articles on her site, and she talked about uh, one of the things that she said. Like she, she worked on. I uh, launched a product called uh, Freckle, which is like a time. Um, uh, I don't know, like a time tracking right. uh, project. Yeah. Um, and they've made sixty thousand dollars in their first year using that project. Hmm. Of running a product, and they've done really well. And she did a few other interesting things. And one of the, her big regrets of all the things she did in the past, because she she basically got that done as well as a few other really big things done in one year. And she and she said the only thing her real regret on that year, she called it the year of the hustle, I think, <laughs> was that she didn't do enough marketing. And um, so that's I think it's such an important thing because it's so easy to try and, to, to find other re- things to do. And so not she's get the marketing built done. multiple pro products whereas probably what she should have done is focused on one and just marketed it no uh i don't know if that's necessarily the case i mean she did a lot of stuff she teamed up with some other people it wasn't like she did these products all by herself but she had partners in a couple of these things i think she does a workshop and she published an ebook and she did like a mac application and you know a bunch of stuff And it all looks like stuff. It's all working really well, but she just said that she wished she had done more marketing. Now, the other thing that's interesting is I emailed her, and she's agreed to be a guest on the show. Oh, great! So, so um, we just need to uh, sort of uh, communicate with her and, and pick a pick a day and time. So, I thought she'd be really interesting because she's bootstrapped everything. She went from consulting, and after basically a year of just working on get shipping products and getting stuff out there, now she doesn't have to consult anymore. That is great. And. And she's. It's, I, I read a few articles, and I'm like, well, this stuff is great. I mean, she's really. She's, what she's talking about is, is what we really focus on, which is how do you bootstrap yourself out of, it, say, working yeah. a job or consulting to the point that you don't have to, that you can work on your own stuff, your own your own products. And um, I don't know. This should be really that should interesting. Be our tagline. Uh, like basically, how do you? Because that is really what this show is about. It's how do you bootstrap your way out of a out of the shackles of a job to freedom, essentially. Yeah, and, and the other thing about it is I've no, I noticed is like I'm more interested personally. I don't know how you feel about it, but it's not that I'm not interested in talking to startups that have received funding and stuff, but I'm less interested in that than talking to people who, who built it, they bootstrapped yeah. it. Because I feel like raising money, and I have raised money from my own startups, angel money and stuff in the past, but it just seems more, it's a lot harder to bootstrap it, but it's more real. Like there's no fake in it, right? Just because you raise money doesn't mean you have a business. You just bought yourself some yeah. time, but if you know if you bootstrap it, I mean, you have to go out there and find real customers, and, and you're really doing it. I just I just have more respect, I guess, for um, entrepreneurs that um, bootstrap it. I, I have a lot more respect for them than I do for. It's not that I don't respect the um, people who raise money. It's just that's just an easy. It's kind of an easy way out. So regarding um, Isaac and Arnoff, what, what what do you think our plan should be about bringing them back? Because we do have quite a few que- uh, questions, and a, a lot of people wanted to hear some more from them. Yeah, you know, I'll um, I'll 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 get in contact with them and see see what they say. I mean, I think they had, I think they enjoyed the show. Is it so is it like sure is it too can... soon to? Uh... <laughs> I'm just seeing that Ozzy uh, Bez has just posted to the forum. He he listened to no agenda because I've <laughs> I tried the crazy marketing tactic of uh, of donating 222 
dot two two dollars to um to no agenda. So right, <laughs> it really is a crapshoot because what they said was thank you, Justin. Because bearing in mind that Tweetminer is Tweetminer.net, right? They said, right. oh, uh, thank you very much to Justin Vincent for donating 222.22. And he would like us to mention his great website, tweetminer.com. <laughs> <laughs> so, which, which basically right. is a, you know, a spam parking page. So, oh, you God. know, there's now 100,000 people all going to that spam park page, <laughs> which is fantastic. <laughs> that really helps me. That's that, you know, 222 right. spelt, spent really well. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, there uh, you go. Well, at least you got to mention. At least you over two hundred bucks. You well, haven't mentioned to two hundred thousand people. Yeah. Well, he he, John, John. I, I sent I sent John Dvorak a mail saying uh, it's dot net, not dot com, and he's like, right. okay, on the next show I'll say it again. You know, he. Okay. So hopefully that's good. Um, but what was? That sounds like it was worth it. Well, I guess. Well, we'll yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but well, at least at least Aussie. Uh, one of our texting listeners heard it and has posted on our forum. That's funny. So, where did you get the number two hundred twenty-two dollars and twenty-two cents? Um, that that number two two just keeps on coming up for me. Like I'll you know I'll I'll see it on a clock or it'll be on a bill. It just happens to me all the time. So I just kind of think, well, it's my good luck number. <laughs> it's like the it's like the show Lost. You ever watched yeah. Lost? Like the law, the, the lost number. Do you know what the number is no. off the top of your head? Do it no, like I... 10, 23, 17, I don't know, whatever it is. Like this weird number. Two, two Are you watching Lost at the moment, the latest episodes? I am. I love I love Lost. I, uh, in fact, I was I was trying to get Guyon to start watching it because I, I asked him all the time, I'm like, you watch Lost? He's like, no, I watch. I think my wife and I, we watched the first you know, 15 minutes. We thought it was stupid. And you, know like, the way, you, you know the way that they used to, like, the segments was that they'd used to look back in back into their earlier lives, and that's how you'd learn more about the character. Yeah. Now, I, is it that they're now looking sideways because there's two people living in the same timeline? That's my understanding. That's what that's I think it is. I, and with John Locke, there's three of there's three of John Locke because there's there's this one that's living his normal life in L.A. There's one that's dead on the island, and there's one that's the Black Pillar of Smoke. <laughs> That's using his it's body or his physical body. form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I love it. My Sandy is not crazy about it. She thinks it's kind of dumb. I've made her watch it. She didn't watch the first season. She kind of picked it up the second season and watched it with me. And she kind of is sort of humors me by watching it. But she'll kind of read, you know, as she's watching it because she just kind of gets irritated because she doesn't feel like they answer any questions. Yeah. But. You know, so at the end, she just kind of sighs and she's just like, whatever. Well, <laughs> like, this is awesome. What are you talking about? This is great. I mean, I guess I can understand some people get frustrated with it. I, I really that, no, like they it. do answer the questions. But when they answer the questions, it's with another question. Like the time, like the it's time right. when Locke took in a recent episode, Locke takes Sawyer across the island and he says, your biggest question is, why are you here? Right. That's what you really want to know, isn't it, Sawyer? And so I was like, yeah. So he takes him to the end of the island. They climb down a cliff face. They climb into a cave. And he's like, the reason why you're here is because your name is on this wall. <laughs> that's like, what the hell like, is that? Okay, so that's a, that is a reason technically. But what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well um we should i should get spent too much time on this because i mean i'm sure a lot of people don't even watch lost and, and there, there could be people who are planning on catching up through dvds and i don't want we don't want to okay. take away but um yeah i like it i've gotten a number of friends and i'm trying to get guy to watch it but he just refuses he's just 
he's just not gonna give in. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep banging on him until he gives it a shot. I'm like, just watch like two or three episodes. Okay, so I got some I got something that's kind of interesting. Um, you remember how I told you that I'm gonna be working on this iPhone app project? Yeah, the one that I, the one that I was saying. Why don't you do it in JavaScript? Yeah, well, actually, it's interesting. I found first I was looking at some, a product called MonoTouch, which um, allows you to develop iPhone apps using C Sharp. And I think it's um, I think it's Novell or somebody. I I, re- I was listening to a podcast. I was listening to was it Hansel Minutes, and they interviewed. The interview was with one of the developers or something for MonoTouch. And so I was thinking that might be something I might be interested in because I I know um, C Sharp, and then. I was. I happened to run across a um, blog post. I think it was Leah Culver or something, and she is something like her first three weeks on an iPhone app, um, developing an right. iPhone app. And in the con, she was sort of describing her experience. And some of the comments says, "Yeah, why don't you use Titanium?" And I was, you know, wonder what what that was. So I checked it out, and it's a Java. You can write iPhone apps and uh, Android apps in JavaScript, but it's not that it's a uh, web page or something. It, it actually generates and compiles um, the, uh, the Objective-C code hmm. from JavaScript. And it's unbelievable. I mean, you know, and, and the same thing for the Android. So you don't have to write Android as used, written in Java, right? And, and iPhone apps, you write those. You tend to write those in Objective-C, although I think you can use... Some, uh, Python or some other thing, but you're still using Cocoa Library and Xcode and Interface Builder and all that, right? So, you know, so I was going to do this project with a friend of mine who he 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 wanted my help on it, and um, his partner they had agreed that they would uh, that they wanted me to work with them on it, and I I told them in the first place I said, look, I don't have any experience building, you know, iPhone apps, much less Objective C or any of that, and um, but they he 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 still wanted you know, to work with me on it. And so even, I was a little hesitant, right? A little apprehensive because I, I wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to waste any, their money or time or get into something where I, you know, was a little over my head where I'm like, you know, I just don't know this well enough and I'm, I'm just wasting too much time and money. So when I saw this Titanium and I, and I, I checked it out and I'm like, wow. So I, you know, there's one thing I do know, it's JavaScript. Yeah. And so I went and I started looking through the documentation. The documentation is a little, it leaves a little something to be desired. They need to work on the documentation. But once you got through and looked at, they have like one sample project, which is called the kitchen sink, which basically demonstrates everything right. that you pretty much can do on an iPhone. And it is so easy. I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking like five to 10 times faster wow. than probably. Objective C. I mean, I went through some tutorials with Objective C, and I have a couple books um, books on you know building um, you know Cocoa apps or, or whatever, and it's just it's a lot of so work. So, do they basically you know? give you um, an API that deals with all the display stuff, and then you just write the rest of your logic in your JavaScript as normal? That's right. So you try, you would have like a page called app.js or a, 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 you know a file app.js, yeah. right? And you would just like create a window and create your buttons and create your this or that, and you can do geolocation or vid everything. I mean, the entire you know API is mapped as JavaScript, and and it and it, it is just just it's easy. That's cool. That's, I mean, that's that sounds just, that does sound kind of similar to what my friends friends doing, but it sounds like they these guys are much further down the road. Um, yeah, I mean this this is version one, so they just released version one. I actually I think tomorrow they're releasing version. So it's appcelerator dot com. That's a p yeah a p p c e l e r a t o r dot com. And 
Yeah, and see what it what it does. Oh, I'm sorry. Go well, on. Just uh, just seeing here, they've got already got like twenty seven thousand uh, twenty seven thousand developers. Yeah, it's um, I, I I was I was kind of uh, blown away. I, I mean, you know, Mar- the guy I'm developing with, a friend of mine, Mark. I, he he, I emailed him and I said, you know what, you know, let's check this out. And he would, or we had a plan that he would come over on Saturday and we we would spend five or six hours just working on it when our, initially obviously we're going to work on some objective C and go through some tutorials and start building like our, our, a very simple app and just going from there. And I said, let's, let's take the first part of the day and let's check out this titanium yeah. thing. We started getting, we, you know, downloaded and installed it. And, you know, we're trying to get through sample apps and I'm just like, dude, this is so easy. And I'm like, if this act, if we can actually still do everything, if it's, if it's not like, well, still there's a large number of things that you just can't do, then that would be a problem, obviously. But if we can do most of the things that you'd expect to be able to do, then, you You said it does everything. It's got all the controls, all the standard. As far as I can tell, everything. As far as I can tell, everything. I mean, I was going going through it, and I mean, it looks like everything. Like, the only time you'd need to get a little bit deeper is if you wanted to start working on a much more OS level. And they, they don't even let you do any background stuff right now anyway, so, you know. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't see it. I think... You know, uh, it, it it seemed to do just about everything, you know, at least on a cursory, you know, working on it for five or six hours and going through this kitchen sink, you know, m- you know, this, it was like a massive application that did everything, you know, and uh, I was looking, I'm like, wow, this is did it. Did you create your Hello World so, app? Yeah, so it, we got an app that would, um, it would uh, download, um, so I, it would, it would do with like a map version, so it would show a map of where you were, but it, not only that, I had to go to a web service. I wrote like a little PHP web service, and it would download some addresses, do a reverse geolocation lookup, find the latitude, longitude, and then plot those on the map where you oh, were. Oh, so you, pl- you plugged it into a server-side script as well? So it's, it like calls yeah, out. Yeah, so I just... Yeah, so like, you know, I, I, I mean, the little Ajax script, you know, just made a call to my server, just like you're writing a, a, a normal a JavaScript page. I mean, it's just, I mean, in, you know, sending an a, a JSON object and doing an eval and getting the properties out and shoving them into this map view and presto. It's very cool. I mean, it was so easy. So if there's anyone out there who knows JavaScript and you're thinking about, you know, getting into iPhone or Android development, but you're at all concerned that you don't know those development environments, just don't even worry about those. Other, just go straight to, to I'm just putting my, I'm, I'm putting my hand up. <laughs> I, I'm one of those yeah, people. Well, I, was gonna, I was actually going to email you and I was going to say, even before the show, I'm like, Justin, you need to check this out because now... You know, you talk about a, a cool new paradigm that you might want to think, think about doing something. But, I mean, if you don't have Objective-C background, you'd just be like, ah, I just can't afford the time, right? Yeah, but, I mean, it's great. It, it, would, it would give me a fast and easy way to create a tweet miner app. Oh, yeah. You could do it. I mean, with your, with your JavaScript skills, I mean, you could get some uh, prototype up in a weekend. That's interesting. Oh, it's, it's, it's so cool. So you, you left a message with uh, Philippe Monet. On his uh, what, what yes. was your what was your message? I didn't get to see. Oh, so he um, so Philippe, um, I get basically he just thanked us for um, giving his uh, my skills my skills map yeah. a critique uh, on our show and that he found it helpful and uh, I just said hey I just said yeah hey you're welcome and uh, I'm glad we were you know helpful to some degree and not at least uh, not just annoying yeah <laughs> and uh, you know just keep 
keep at it, man. Keep up the good work. Now he had what he what I what he had really done, which um, we had suggested, which was show don't tell. So he went in and and and, and cut down a lot of the copy, the text, and and, and put up more images and, and and tried to talk about the benefits as opposed to the features. And I thought um, that was definitely a couple steps in the right direction. So, well, I like the way he's yeah. got the um the main bullet points now that's just kind of explaining. So he's it. You can you know what the site's about now when you get there. Basically, there's just a, a sentence saying, "Take charge of your skills development." A skills map quickly highlights your core skills. Make it easy for people to spot your talents. Increase your motivation to sharpen skills, and it's good because there's some benefits there as well. Right. You know, it's interesting. It reminds me that you know I, I brought up Amy Hoy, um, and she had had like a slideshow. I happened to see when I was checking out some of the, her previous articles and was called something like pimping software ain't easy or something <laughs> like that. I think it was a talk she gave at some conference and she, and a lot of it was talking about, you know, how you need to focus on the benefits and not the features and how she analyzed some of the websites. It was like prototypes website versus jQuery's website. And, you know, how we we'll just talk about, you know, they would just tend to talk about the features. It's like, well, who cares? I want to hear why do I care? Mm. You know, why is it, why is this going to make me a happier person? <laughs> you know, it's great. It's like pimping, pimping software ain't easy or something. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll have, yeah, pimping software projects ain't easy. Um, and it's on SlideShare, but we'll have her on the show and she can talk, talk to us a little bit about that. But okay. So, yeah, <clears throat> sorry. So just to, just to cut in, um, you've got some ideas for some new show sections and I really like one. Yeah. I really like one of them. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, for the first one is obviously your idea, which was um, critiquing right. yeah. websites. But I think we should give the name, which I think Philippe coined, Philippe Monet coined, which is La Critique. Le, le, is it La Critique? <laughs> la well, critique. you know that's feminine. So, so La Critique is feminine, Le Critique is, is masculine. So we need to know, is it the feminine or the masculine? Well, I think he said La Critique. Okay. In, in a, on, a, on, a, on a, one of the comments, he, he said, thanks for La Critique, right. or he said something about it. Um, whatever, we'll say it the right way, but it sounds like Le Cirque du Soleil or something. <laughs> that's, that's what it reminds me of. Sort of this sort of pompous, highfalutin. It's not a, just a critique, it's a la critique. So we'll, we'll, I think what we should do is um, attempt to, on some kind of regular, semi-regular basis, critique um, apps that our listeners are working so, on. So please, I mean, the only way that can work is if our listeners send us some apps to review. <laughs> Either send us an email yeah. um or um, what's our email address it's pod- again? Podcast at techzinglive.com. Right. Okay. So send it. Send it there, or uh, post a comment on the blog saying you know that you'd like us to review it, and and we'll we'll do it. Um, and we'll do our, we'll do the best job we can without trying to be annoying or acting like we know everything, which obviously we but, don't. But do try, don't <laughs> so. send in anything that is really really bad. Because <laughs> because we'll basically it's you know we're going to have to be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. I mean, you know, send it, send in. I mean, if it's if it's polished, then you know you can expect a certain type of critique. If it's really rough, I mean, you could you can you can send sort of like an explanation of where you are in the in the um, development phase. But I think probably what you want to be is sort of the phase where you're just starting to release it in some kind of beta. Okay, form. just just before you tell us your your next idea for a show segment, I just need to say something. Bopinda Abu Morpalinda Singh. I just need to say that because he said he wants me to say it again. <laughs> I can't believe you actually pronou- can pronounce it. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're pronouncing it correctly. It I sounds don't know. right. <laughs> Bams. 
Yeah, yeah he calls himself Bops. Yeah. We call Bops. him Bams, but he calls himself Bops. Okay. So, okay, so go on, what's your, what's your great news show segment? And the other one was an, another idea from um, Peter Christensen, who does Geek Stack. And I've told you, I've mentioned that we've had a couple of our paths across a couple of times. And um, he's, he mentioned that it'd be fun to come on the show sometime if we'd ever have Mon. I said, you know what would be kind of neat is every once in a while we have uh, listeners on for the show for, you know, maybe he does it for like 10 minutes or 15 minutes. I'm have the whole show or something, but we call it get to know a listener, <laughs> <laughs> you know? So if we have someone to come on and tell us a little bit about what they're working on and what they're thinking about. And, uh, you know, it'd be kind of like, fun. that's a good idea. So if you're up for that, if you would like to be on get to know a listener, then again, same way, send us an email or post a comment and, and uh, maybe give us a little bit about what you like to what you're working on. I mean, I think I think it almost has to be like one of these bar camp requirements, which you got to be working on. Yeah, something. it's yeah. If you're just like some some random person who's not even really into tech startups, then well, no. But I mean, if you're just if you're just working at a job or just doing consulting work, and you're not you don't have a side project, or or at least you don't have some kind of you know maybe you could be working on an open source project. That's that's cool, or a side project or something, something that you're working on that you're really excited about. I think that should be the primary thing that we would focus the conversation on. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's only fair. Um, oh, good idea. So, yeah. Nice. So those are a couple new segments. And then the other thing that I mentioned that we talked about offline that I think would be kind of fun is having like a, an X factor episode every once in a while. Um, I have a, I have an idea for, I had for two or three different show topics that aren't necessarily about, you know, writing code or launching startups or anything, but they're the kind of they're the kind of topics that I think our listeners would enjoy. So if you if you look at Hacker News, is a good that that serves as a good sort of sample of the kind of topics that we tend to discuss, right, yep. Justin? Can you say so? There's definitely things that pop up on there that aren't about uh, startups and and tech. But they're just the kind of things that they, that group that audience enjoys that likes to like to think about. Now they don't want to do it exclusively but every once in a while it's, it'd be interesting and i i think i have a couple things that might be i'm uh, interested in this whole 9-11 truther thing what about it well it's just like the evidence about it is it, it seems pretty serious and they're like it, in mm-hmm. the press there's there's it, they kind of try and debunk it quite a lot and it's interesting because the evidence is so good yeah well the the the, the debunking that goes on the press isn't debunking it's just sort of dismissing yeah. There's no, there's not really debunking. Um, and I think what's interesting about conspiracies is that, uh, you know, the most conspiracy theories, I mean, a conspiracy theory is just, you know, essentially an alternative theory to what's being proposed by the mainstream right. media. Right. So, and as we've known in history, a lot of things that were originally thought to be true turn out to be false. Yeah. You know, and the perfect example, which, you know, is the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Yes. Total crap. Now, at first, it was like, it's absolutely true. Everybody knows it, right? That was the line. And then it was like, well, they're hard to find. You know, maybe, you know, some of our information wasn't correct. And then it was like, well, it was faulty intelligence. And then now it's like, well, there's a certain number of people, even in the mainstream press, who are like, you know what? We have a feeling that the people in, in, in the government, in the, in the Pentagon or CIA or whatever, knew that that was yeah. crap. And, uh, you know, maybe, but the thing is, the mainstream press doesn't really want to cover that too much or talk about it too much. But 
that's pretty much an obvious thing. We all thought something in 2003. Everybody was pretty much convinced of something, and it turned out that people were saying, oh, it's a lie. They just want us to go in there because we want to occupy, you know, um, Middle East, and we want to, um, you know, get our hands on, you know, Iraqi oil or this and that. And everybody would look at this. People would be like, what are you talking about, you know? You guys are conspiracy what theorists. Was your, what was yeah. your main point? You said the thing about conspiracy theories. Okay, so the thing about conspiracy theories are that you have a, you have one sort of accepted, or you generally have one primary conspiracy yeah. theory, which is a conspiracy theory. It's just yeah. the official just the official theory. Like the, yeah. the official theory, and then you have a bunch of alternative theories. Now, generally speaking, there's a, there's almost there can be dozens or hundreds of alternative theories, and not and and generally most of them will be wrong, right? And a lot of those theories have little to no evidence to back them up. Some of them have evidence. And the question is, um, I think it's interesting you have to go through some kind of a vetting process to figure out, even give which one or even deserve the time of day. Because there's so many conspiracy theories floating around about everything. But, but the 9-11, and, I mean, the 9-11 truthers, I mean, okay, the, the, main, the main aspect about it to me is that it looks very likely that someone uh, other than the planes brought those buildings down, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a, here's a, here's the next thing. For, first of all, you know, I, I, you can't, you can't paint, um, all of the people who question the, the official explanation of 9-11 with the same brush. There's a huge, wide, very wide spectrum of right. people, right? There are, there, there are people who think that the, um, and the very extreme end, you say the, the government itself, Brought down the government, the buildings using some nanothermite dust, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's it. Which is sort of a government as a is a government explosive like thermite is used to you know and and um you know it can burn to super high temperatures and all this kind of stuff. And there's some of this cutting edge nanothermite dust. I had read a bunch of stuff about that at one point. And then the other end of the spectrum, which is people say, listen, you know. Probably what happened is there were people in the government who were not aggressively following up on some of these terrorist leads because the idea is like stop one, let one through and stop the rest, right? right? Like you need a new Pearl Harbor. You need something to happen that can get the population behind really bumping up our, our expenditures and funding and everything on, uh, on our you know, national security and things like that, right? So those people will say, look – it's it's not that it's not that we didn't plant they bombs. Did it. We they didn't plant bombs or they didn't do anything like that. But they kind of knew that there were things that could happen. They weren't necessarily sure that that specifically was going to happen. They they should they thought there could be some kind of a terrorist activity, but they weren't going to be over aggressive in stopping because they thought all we need is let one through and then you know we can do all these other things that we want to do. You know, yeah, there's, 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 too much, there's too much uh, TV and you know audio and video evidence about explosions going off and. You know, the way the building fell down, it was like a controlled construct, you know, demolition. It's just, there's yeah, too well, much evidence. Like, Well, there's, a, there's one that's really interesting, which is the, the, the Building 7 was just brought down. It just collapsed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's never happened before. It wasn't even hit by anything. Like this 42-story building just collapses. Yeah. Like nothing, like, like a controlled demolition, even though nothing ever hit it. I mean, that doesn't make any sense well, at all. It, it does make but, sense because if, if, if it was set up, let's say, for example, it was set up with the explosives, right? They couldn't leave it around. Mm-hmm. They couldn't just leave it that way. They had to bring it down. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? <laughs> no, what I mean, what I mean is that the Building Seven couldn't have, uh, assuming that the planes yeah. hit. You know, obviously the planes hit Building One and Building yeah. Two, and in sometime middle of the day, Building Seven just falls down. Just no, collapses. that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense unless it just doesn't. 
unless there was some someone else involved, basically. There was no explanation for it in the in the, in the 9/11 Commission report or whatever. Anyway, yeah. you know, not to get too deep into this stuff, but yeah, I think I think there's a, a large percentage of the population just doesn't even want to think about it. It's just too awful of a thought to think that the government had had any knowledge of it, much less planned it or was involved at any level. It's just too, it's just the world, their worldview just couldn't handle right. it. Does it like, does it put us in danger to talk about something like this? I don't understand what you mean. Danger by who? Well, by the, <laughs> by the people who blew up the buildings. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't worry about it. If I mean, it's first of all, you have to you you have to go and believe that that yeah, was true. Yeah, I just that want to retract what I said. I I actually think that it was just the planes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that there was anyone involved other than the planes, and I completely believe the official line. <laughs> no, you don't. No, I do. I do. Really, I've changed my mind. You don't. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, the, the thing is about conspiracy theories of any kind is that um, you just don't have enough time to vet the evidence, right? I mean, you can believe stuff. Like, obviously, people tend to um, believe conspiracy theories that fit within the worldview. I think you have, you have conspiracy theories on the left, you have conspiracy theories on the right, and you have conspiracy theories in the middle or whatever. But the thing is, you just don't have enough time in the day to vet the I, evidence. I don't care how crazy a conspiracy theory sounds when you just kind of give the headline, but you'll be able to find someone who can say something about it that sounds kind of intelligent. Just about most sure. of the time. Like it, well, what do you mean by well, that? I mean, what do you the, mean by that? You know, if you talk about aliens, which just the very word aliens okay. sounds stupid and funny, right? You know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. there are some people who can talk about it in a sensible way <laughs> and sound kind of convincing. Well, I think, you know, I think that, um, I think it's interesting. I, I, I think it's not a good idea to shut down to alternative hypotheses, but, it, but you have to be skeptical and, and require evidence. Yeah. And if, you, if, you're, if you're willing to not, if you're willing to turn off skepticism and not require evidence, then you're lost, right? You can believe anything. Right. Right. So, um, that's what's really, uh, and that's why you kind of get on a slippery slope. Like you start, you know, the, I think a lot of like mainstream media, a lot of times just doesn't cover stuff because it's just. There's some things that can't be evidence safe. for, like safe. say for example, psychic phenomenon and that kind of thing. Like it's, it's so difficult. For example, uh, let's say you were doing tests on people who were doing, I don't know, uh, remote traveling when they were asleep, they were going, you know, out of body experience or whatever. And so they they may be saying, oh, I'm having this experience, but you can't put any you can't ascribe any evidence to that. Like it doesn't make a difference whether they say it or not. I wonder if someone says I got telepathy or I got you know to get put people to the rooms, you could try and prove it. If you can't do it, then you can't do it. Or people say, oh, I can, you know, I can move objects into my mind. I'm like, all well, right, but let's they, do it. Okay, do it. but they, for example, with telepathy experiments, right? The the only proof that they've got is to say, well, we've kind of you know above seventy percent of the time he can read the card, you know? And it's like, no, it needs to be 100% to be to be true, right? But the problem is, is that the very nature, the, you know, the very nature of that kind of thing is that maybe people aren't in the right mood to do it or there's certain things that are stopping them from doing it and that's why they can't do it 100% of the time. I'm just saying, do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just... 
Well, I don't know. I, I I think a lot of that stuff is testable. I just think it doesn't. It just just can't be proved. It's not. It's it's not proven to work. People can't do it. <laughs> I just. I mean, I haven't looked into it, but I think it's easy to be kind of thing. Like, well, if you can move object to your brain, or you can tell, you can communicate with someone mentally, they could be easily to set up tests to prove you can do it. And if you can't do it, well, you can't do it. What do you it. think would happen to if someone if someone could provably move stuff with their brain, and it was like on the Jay Leno show and it was like, okay, I can do it. And somehow we could definitively prove that it wasn't a magic trick. What do you think would happen to society? Mm-hmm. Do you think it would change society? I don't know. It was only one dude. Yeah, just one dude. <laughs> it's like one guy who could do it. <laughs> yeah. He'd be like, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, hey, that guy's got superpowers. But you wouldn't think that it would like uh, change people's perception of religion and life and... I don't know what they would have to do with religion. Well, he because he, he would be able to do miracles. Is that a miracle? Well, it is according to the Bible. Moving stuff with your... What, what are you talking about? How is moving objects with your mind a miracle? Well, if that isn't, I don't know what is. I mean, that's like, walk, it's like walking on water. <laughs> Just, well, it's like Arthur C. Clarke's any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. <laughs> right? So is any sufficiently cool uh, power is... Thereby a miracle. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, first of all, <laughs> I can't see scientific any scientific basis for anyone being able to do that. So I don't think it's really worth spending much time thinking about. Well, no, but, no, there, 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 yeah, there could be would... scientific basis because the th- the theory is is that um, you know if you look at quantum physics and so basically the universe is made of quantum foam, right? So what's the, who quantum yeah. foam? What's that? Well, it's just the as as you break things down smaller and smaller so you go you know atom and then you go proton and you just kind of keep going down and then you get to, Forks yeah, and strings and, and then you have quantum foam theory. right which is which is the the kind of the theory that's a great name i just i if it's true that if, if it's actually a, a, a physics term yeah that's great. yeah so, I, so basically okay. that i thought you're just making no, no, stuff no, no. Up. right and so in so in theory this quantum foam which is like the little tiny black holes and white holes that that kind of uh, make up everything else, essentially make up consciousness, is is the kind of quantum theory, right? So if they make up consciousness, who's to say that we somehow, given that our consciousness consciousness is made of the same stuff, why shouldn't a mind be able to, you know, pick up an object or whatever? It it is connected to essentially the core uh, substance of the universe. Okay, well let's put it this way. I mean. Yeah, okay. I, I would concede that just because we don't have a scientific understanding of something doesn't necessarily mean it's not possible. Right. Right? It doesn't necessarily mean, yeah, it's not possible. So, um, yeah, so you have to see someone to actually, actually make it happen, right? I mean, you can, either, you can either come up with a theory based on known physics that demonstrates that it might be possible. Like, there were, I think Hawking and, uh, had, had the- was when people theorized about black right. holes before we ever found any found evidence of you know um you know i think einstein and a lot of people a lot of a lot of these you know theories of relativity and quantum mechanics and all these kinds of things they theorized the possibility of all these things and those things were only discovered by astrophysicists and astronomers much later you know it was just you know so you come up with a theory that's okay well this is theoretically possible but or you can just make it happen in which case well obviously it's happening so we just don't necessarily understand why yet which which is another thing like i think there's a lot of things we, we notice, understanding between, you know, gravity and trying to come up with some kind of way of, of making gravity and uh, quantum mechanics fall into the same sort of uh, theoretical framework. And I don't think they work together. 
great well. In fact, it's interesting you bring that up because I was just um, reading an article last night called Knowing the Mind of God, Seven Theories of Everything, and it basically went down um, to the seven leading theories yeah. proposed in physics, like string theory and E8 and all these different things. Because these things pop up, you know, like on Hacker News and stuff, and it'll be like in... You know, Scientific American or MIT Technology Review, and it'll be like some new physicist came up with some new cool theory of everything. It's called blah. Have you, did did it have the parallel universe theory? You know, they didn't really talk about that. I mean, there was one. There's, I don't know if I there's one. Really, there's one theory yeah. that's so cool, which is that basically there's there's slices of <clears throat> slices of universes next to each other, and the forces that we have in this universe uh, are essentially each universe interacts with each other. So. For example, gravity is leaking into our universe from from the a parallel universe next to us, and that's why it's such a weak force. In their in their universe, it's an incredibly strong force, and but in our universe, magnetism is a very strong force. And the theory is, is that that can leak into their universe, and the magnetism between two um, magnetic objects is very weak. Yeah, you know what you know what's kind of interesting about that is that these theories are so crazy, right? You know, like string theory requires like 10 dimensions. <laughs> yeah. Six of which we don't actually experience. Yeah. I mean, what is that? I think Roger Penrose, he's a really well-known physicist. And, um, and I think he's at Cambridge or something. And uh, he's written a couple, you know, layman's books like The Emperor's New Mind and things like that, where he, he talks a lot about um, physics and artificial, the prospect of artificial intelligence and things. And, uh, you know, he's basically like, look, we're just on the wrong track because all these theories just don't make any kind of sense. Right. In any kind of physical reality, I mean, they might work well in terms of equations on a page. They they might make things work out, but he's like, they're just wrong. They don't they don't really work out correctly. So it's kind of interesting. You talk about like things like telepathy and being possible and this and that. It's like that stuff. Like when you first talk about it, it sounds crazy right. talk, right? Like what are you talking about? You know, like I mean, it sounds like great for like you know an episode of Lost. <laughs> <laughs> some some guy has telepathy or you know can telekinesis or something. That sounds like a great you know lost episode or x-files but in terms of like seriously considering it just sounds retarded yeah. right like you're you're a you know if you seriously believe that you're a moron but at the same time you start reading about these these theories that are proposed by some of these great physicists you're like that this sounds insane yeah you know like it's like you know the great the, the the universe is the big bang and the big crunch and the universe is expanding forever but it's slowing down but no way there's an infinite parallel universe well, time, like, time machines by by opening a wormhole yeah <laughs> I, yeah exactly all that kind of stuff you know you know i read this great book i can't remember what it's called i should find it it was this guy who um He's a physicist at, um, I think it was like Connecticut College or something, University of Connecticut. And he was secretly trying to find a way to do, uh, to travel through time using physics. <laughs> yeah. Right. And he's a legitimate <laughs> physicist, right? I mean, this guy isn't some kook. And, you know, he, um, and what had really, um, you know, because I'd heard him interviewed on NPR about this book he wrote. Yeah. And I said, that sounds kind of interesting. Just an interesting story of his sort of, you know, trying to discover a theory of, of time travel and physics. Cause, and he was always fascinated by it. Like he had watched every movie that ever covered the topic. Oh, and, well, then he knew all about the, it. Well, no, no, but it was just found <laughs> yeah. fun, right? I mean, because physicists, just because they study real science, it doesn't mean they don't like, you know, watch or read science fiction or find this stuff fun to yeah. think about, right? Because in the end, they're all still kids at heart. We're, we're all kids at heart. And the reason we 
you know, like stuff like computers and math and physics and all stuff is like, you know, the science fiction stuff we watched when we were kids or we still watch. I mean, we like a lot. Watch Lost, you know, I, yeah. you know, we, we watch, watch Lost. Episode. <laughs> we watch Lost. I'm sure everyone with the I'm, same I'm, brush. No, I know. I know what you mean. Yeah. But I'm, while I'm, while I'm talking to you, I'm kind of looking for this book, but I can't find it. So anyway, it was interesting. So this guy, he, he, um, he's actually a pretty successful physicist, you know, and he, he, published a lot of good papers but he always but he would never talk about the fact that he was doing all this his his own his, his work on time travel you know the physics of time travel because immediately you start doing that and you blow your credibility yeah. like cannot you cannot seriously talk about that without um looking like a, a kook and, or are you just yeah you're not gonna take it seriously but he finally decided that he had enough for a really interesting um theory about it and he presented at this big, uh, uh, you know, f- uh, physics conference. And I guess one of the I can't, I can't remember his name, but one of these big, big time physicists, one of the most well known physicists in the field, stood up. And um, oh, and let me backtrack one back. He the reason he did all this is that his father died when he was a kid, and it had wounded him so badly that his his father died that he wanted and the guy and he had died because of lung cancer. Huh. And he wanted to go back in time and tell his dad not to smoke, <laughs> essentially, right? Huh. So, and that had driven him his whole life to want to go back in time to save his dad, right? And so when he gives this talk, and he has like this huge, like this two or three hour presentation, it's just, you know, 50 slides, it's this really in-depth, you know, highly mathematical presentation of, of this theory. And when the greatest physicist in the field stands up and, and asks some very probing questions and says, he says at the end, he goes, you know... He's like, I don't know if you'll be able to travel back in time to save your dad, but he sure would be proud of you. And I was like, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that was a really, you know, uh, that was really interesting. So that was a, that was a, you know, interesting book. And, um, so do, I mean, does time travel exist? <laughs> I mean, like well, what, what, what he what, said, what was it good? It seemed like he demonstrated was that, you couldn't go back further in time than the machine, machine that you use to travel in time. So and they were actually they were trying to raise uh, get some grant money for an experiment, but it looked like he demonstrated that he built a time uh, like a machine, and you're sending and basically they're just trying to send a single particle yeah. back through time, you know, at like you know a, a billionth of a second kind of thing. I mean, we're not talking about sending a guinea pig you know, back five years in time. We're just like sending a particle a billionth of a second in time. Or something like that, and but it had to go through the same machine, so you can't go back further than that before the machine itself existed. Right, which makes so, sense. Yeah, I mean, so it's kind of interesting, but you know, it's like like a lot of things that you know. Sometimes I imagine a lot of stuff that we do and think about, and as as just very possible. I mean, fifty years ago, hundred years ago, five hundred years ago, certainly would just seem like magic, completely impossible. I was thinking, like, if if you got thrown back in time and ended back in the, you know, 13th century or somewhere in England, right? How would you get through a day without being killed? Like, would it even be possible? Because they would just think you were so nuts, you know, that, like, you just couldn't say anything to them that would stop them from just lynching you. Right. <laughs> right. Well, it's, it was funny. I was, li- I was watching this really interesting. So here's the thing. I won't back to one thing. A lot of times when I'm coding and I'm just dying for something to to watch <laughs> because it'll be like 
you know, I've listened to every podcast I can think of that's remotely interesting, and I'm and I've got a bunch of boring coding to do, but I can't I can't just do it without anything interesting to listen to. Otherwise, I'll just get bored after 15 minutes and get distracted, and start sending email or reading, you know, the web yeah. or something, right? So I'll tend to find some videos that I found interesting, and it's one guy, Richard Dolan, who's this historian who went to a very serious uh, study of the history of UFOs right. in the national security state, and really interesting guy. He, was, he, he wasn't a kook at all. He was completely serious and completely only based on actual evidence and what's provable, what has been demonstrated or, or um, whatever. So one thing he said he was talking about, like if you went, like you were talking about like if aliens um, landed here, would they tell us everything? So it's like it doesn't sound like they're really, you know, you know, the, when people talk about encounters with aliens, you know, and, and, you know, what are they even saying to people? What, you know, what information are people getting? They're not really getting much, right? right? And, and he said, you know, like, just think if we went back like a thousand years, from, you know, or 2,000 years ago, we went back to the time of the pyramids, and they must be like, wow. So they like, we show them a cell phone, like, oh, that's totally cool. <laughs> that's awesome. You know, you must have totally solved all of your political and economic and social problems. <laughs> or like, uh, yeah. <laughs> No. And he goes, and they're like, well, so, uh, you know, you know, you have fun with that. And uh, by the way, keep the safety off. Well, the other <laughs> thing is, it's like, OK, <laughs> if, if aliens existed, right, and they came down like that, the, <clears throat> the idea is, is that they're all this kind of same person. But why wouldn't there be one that was kind of grumpy and pissed off and another one that was, you know, a really kind of happy person and you know what just completely different personalities like why why would they be just this kind of gray skinned thing you know what i'm saying um well you know it's kind of interesting so i so i watched a bunch of these um these talks the recorded talks of this guy richard right. dolan and 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 i you know and I actually found him to be, a, you know, very like a very serious person, right? He wasn't some person who's like, oh, and then we're going to aliens, and then all our problems are going to be over, and there's going to be this great hand holding between us, and you know, just some, you know, total crap, yeah. right? Which a lot of times you start reading, you start reading or watching something like that, and then 15 minutes in, they just here it comes, <laughs> right? <laughs> here it comes, we're going off the rails, yeah. <laughs> you know? Which is happening and with this show right now. <laughs> exactly, we are off the rails, <laughs> right? <laughs> That will have to be the name of the show. Yeah. So, um, anyway, he goes, um, uh, he, I kind of lost my train of thought there. <laughs> I can't remember what I was talking about. Um, but, uh, I don't know, what was you, I talking about? You saying Richard Dolan, he, he was saying something? He was saying something. Uh, about going back in time and socioeconomic problems. Yeah, he said. It. If you saw a cell, a cell phone. Was- yeah, hold on. Oh, oh okay. okay, 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 okay. I know. I know. <laughs> so we're talking about like these different aliens, right? Like they call those aliens the Greys. Like that's sort of the terminology. But as it turns out, like it seems like there might be multiple different types of races or different aliens, and then there could be like that the rays that we see are actually synthetic, like robots, and essentially like synthetic organisms. They're not actually the real aliens. That's why they kind of don't look like, like they don't have any like. You know, reproductive organs or like, what are these things? They look kind of like synthetic beings or something, which is actually what they are. They're not actually, you know, real. I mean, who knows, right? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's again, it's like a, an X Files episode or something. It's just fun to think about. But, I, I'm uh, really, I don't I, <laughs> I'm looking forward to the feedback on this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> so anyway, well, I, I anyway, I I read. I said, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to read this guy's book. Right? He's he wrote two books. Richard Olin yeah. did. The first is uh, something like UFOs in the National Security State, 1941 to 1973 or something. And then he does a second one that's like the 70s to nine. The ninety-one or two, and then the third one he's working on now. Yeah, and they're they're basically he goes through and and basically documents everything that happened and says, okay, well this has happened, this was reported, this was covered by these, you know, people, and and he, you know, he's not saying this is true or not true. It's just basically like a history history of what the encounters were. You know, these pilots saw this. This showed up on this radar. This was reported at this military base. Okay, so know, he doesn't well, say aliens exist. He just says this. Oh, he doesn't know. He's not like one of those people that go off on you know on the rails. Like, well, when the aliens took me up into their ship, and then I met these other aliens, and it was awesome, <laughs> and then I got probed. And you're like, what? This is crazy talk. You know, he's actually like a serious historian. That he was a historian. He was a um. He was actually working on his PhD, and he studied uh, I guess Cold War history and Soviet yeah. Union was his specialty. And then he kind of got sidetracked. He just, he was going to the bookstore and he saw this book on, I think it was called Above Top Secret, right. he said, uh, and the title was, and he's like, I wonder if any of this, if there's any substance to this at all. You know, because they, he was kind of paging through it as he's standing in this bookstore and he's, some of the names of the people were people that he actually knew about and studied and, you know, in, in doing his Cold War histories hmm. um, research, right? So he's like, ah, I know all these people. What? What is this? I wonder if there's anything real here. And so he kind of went off. He said, I'm just going to spend a little time looking into this, see if there's anything here. This is kind of interesting. Because, you know, like a lot of us, we're kids or growing up. It's like you watch, you know, stuff, science fiction, yeah. UFOs. And it's, it's fundamentally interesting. Yeah. I mean, the idea of there being alien races is fundamentally interesting, yeah. you know. Now, at the same time, it seems like total, you know, kookery and, and just well, total BS. Uh, at this point, I mean, so. there's a lot to be said for the theory, which is that if it really was a, th- a thing that was true, that basically the mainstream media and the government would basically market it in a way that it was nuts so that no one went down that avenue, you know? Well, that's the whole, that's the whole argument is that there's been a, a, a massive disinformation campaign on the part of the government over right. the years um, to make it so that it is completely discredited and you can't talk about it seriously. So even, like even me, I'll even bring it up on this episode that I would even read a book on it, you know, it's like, you know, puts a little black mark next to my name, right? Well, no, <laughs> Jason Roberts, not credible. No, no, no. <laughs> no. I, I would, I would say that you'd have a much bigger black mark for not doing version control. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's my second black. <laughs> this is your second black mark. No structured version control. Read a book on hey, the um, <laughs> This, this has been, this has been a really fun show. Um, but I think, it, just I've got to, uh, I'm going to have to go quite soon. <laughs> All right, right, no problem. So, um, yeah, we went totally off the rails. Yeah, we did, <laughs> in a good way, and this, uh, guess- this, that's what I—that's what I like. You know, I, I love the um, us being able to have that flexibility, um, as well as just talking yeah. about tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do too. Um, okay, so here's the thing. I want to. One thing I want to try and do is I want to get Richard Dolan on the you show. You do? That would be awesome. Okay. Yeah, as an interview guest, right? That would be awesome. That, that's from like from those X Factor. Episodes, okay, sweet. Right, but I'm uh, I want to read I'm going to read his two books first because it would be stupid to have him on and be like, well, I even read your books, but you know, I want to hear what you have to say. So I want to read his books. Right. I'm I'm re- I'm sorry. I'm like oh, I read like 100 pages of the first one. I'm like up to like 1952. <laughs> so are you, and are you getting uh, the guts together to send him an email? 
Oh, I will. You know, I mean, look, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen him interviewed on a number of shows. I think he seems like a nice guy. And I think like, hey, you know, we have a podcast. We have, you know, somewhere between maybe ultimately somewhere between maybe a 500 or a thousand people might listen to the show. I mean, why wouldn't you just come on for an hour and talk, yeah, okay. right? I mean, I don't see. I mean, unless you're like, unless you're, a, you know, a really big star and you have a huge audience, then, you know, you wouldn't. But if you're, uh, if you're not, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, because, uh, you know, all these people go talk at conferences and they talk to like 100 people. Well, here's, here's people. my promise to the listeners. We'll, we'll, if we do, if we do get him on and the show's completely nuts, we won't air it. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he's, he's not, he's not a, he's not a nutter. Oh, okay. He's not. He's a he's a very serious he's a serious person. So it's like it's like this. It's like if you knew someone who was completely serious person, and they said, "All right, I'm going to go look into this for you guys. I'm actually going to go research this, and I'll tell you what I found that looks serious and what doesn't look right. serious." That's what he's looked like to me. I was like I, I I I've watched four or five hour and a half long talks by him uh, that were on like Google Video or YouTube or whatever, and I was like, "Yeah, I mean, this guess is really interesting. I mean, I'm not. He's not. He's." He's not going off. He doesn't ever gets off the rails. Okay, you know, and so he'd be someone he'd be worth. I, you know, as an X factor. Well, episode, you know what? Right? I mean, look, if 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 texting is is the way that the truth of alien existence comes to the world, <laughs> that's fine so by it. me. <laughs> <laughs> look, we will not only help you launch your startup. <laughs> we'll we'll tell you when the aliens are going to arrive. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so, I think that's, um, uh, that's the... I think that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> We're out. <laughs>